You're tuned in to the Three Pixels Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I am here with Martin and Daviana. Martin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much, Ben. Nice to be back. Nice to be here for this slightly chilled episode. You'll see as we go along. Daviana, how are you? I'm doing all right. The world is on fire right now, but still, we're still on fire. Just keep going on. Yep, just, still on fire. Just checking in with the world. Still on fire. Okay, good to okay. know. I guess I should be more specific. America is still on fire right now. Okay. I I, I guess the rest of the world is fine. What What's really uh, made you feel that way? What can you say? Deniers and okay. racism and. Okay. It's 4th of July, and I'm not feeling very patriotic right now. Well, happy 4th of July. Yes, happy 4th of July. This won't be out on 4th of July. I'm very much aware of it because it is 4th of July that we're recording this, and I am definitely not that quick uploading. So uh, we will we'll be a little bit late to that party, but whatever it is you're doing or have done on the 4th of July, we hope it was safe and done respectfully of, of the virus and of everything else. So talking about the virus, it would be it would be good just to have a little conversation before we go into our topic. How how's it how's it looking generally? What what things can you now do, Darvi, in Oregon? I know it changes a lot state to state, so I can't talk about the US as a whole, but Oregon, what can you do? How much normality is there right now? I live in an area where a lot of people are just disobeying a lot of the restrictions actually so okay it's almost life as normal but we were just given a mandate from governor brown um saying that all oregonians must wear face masks while in indoor public spaces yeah so that means that i have to wear a face mask all day at work and anywhere that i go and a lot of people are not doing it. There's a lot of big feelings happening right now. I'd be interested to find out in a second your full thoughts, especially as someone who has to do this as part of work. So it's it's a constant. My personal initial thought when I heard of this was, okay, why now? I, I see why it is important, but why now? If it was super important, we should have done this a long time ago when things were supposedly worse. If things are getting better, and I know, especially in in Oregon, things are never got super, super bad in, in most areas. Why, why now? I can't speak to everywhere right now, but in Oregon, we have doubled our cases very recently. And there's been large spikes and there's a lot of theories about why that's happening. There's been a lot of things happening right now that could have brought it on. There was Memorial Day weekend, the protests, the counter protests, the protests against wearing face masks and all of the mandatory things that we have to do um, for coronavirus. We are actually having to do mandatory face masks because there's been now almost 9,000 cases in Oregon. So not as bad as other places, but mm -hmm. we are getting up there. Would you say it almost feels like a bit of a scrambling to keep a lid on things to stop it from spreading? It seems very reactive and not very proactive. Exactly. We were opening up slowly and with the opening up, I think that there's naturally going to be more cases, but there were just yeah. too many all at once. 
And so now our governor is trying to react to that. And Mm -hmm. it's difficult because we have a very divided state, just like we have a very divided nation. It seems to be, and this is a general concern I have, which I'll bring to Martin in a second, about things reopening more in the UK with pubs and barbershops and other uh, institutions being able to serve customers again, is that people kind of get suddenly... I, I kind of envision it like you let the sheep out of the pen and suddenly like they're everywhere. You know, they, they just want to get out and they just want to go and, and be wherever they can. And you've given them the sense of freedom that they haven't had. And it's very hard then to keep control and to herd them back into where they should be and not go completely crazy. As I said, pubs and, and, and barbershops and hairdressers and all that kind of stuff. No, no nail salons yet because you can cut people's hair, but you can't touch their nails. I'm not fully sure behind that. But anyway, Martin, what's your feel? Do you, do, you, do you share similar concerns about these things reopening? I do share a lot of concerns because if you look at what's going on in the UK, we've had a lot of protests as well. And clearly people just didn't obey social distancing rules or anything like that. And I understand it's hard because you want to be passionate about what you want to, uh, what you're against and all for you, fair enough. But now we're seeing spikes uh, crop up across the country like, look at Leicester, for example. Yeah. They've had a huge spike, and yeah. they have to go on self-quarantine on their own. Yeah. Now, this is what I actually want to say fully on the subject. I feel like our government has completely lost control mm-hmm. coming towards the coronavirus. I don't want to get too political in this, because this is not what the show is about. We look at Mr. Cummings, when he travelled, like, over 100 miles to go up to Scotland, and, you know, he broke his own recommendations that he put across to the British people. And I feel like ever since that moment, people have lost complete faith in whatever the government is trying to do. Ben's analogy is a perfect summary of what's going on here in the UK. They have given us small little freedoms. And when you say you can give them an inch, they'll take a mile, Mm -hmm. you know. And it's ridiculous how many people I see out just in my room outside how many people actually see just congregating together and you can tell they are not anywhere near like immediate family or household people and yet people just almost feel like they've forgotten about the COVID-19 and gone well it's not going to affect me I've showed no signs but it doesn't work that way you could still be carrying the virus and the government are trying to double back on so many things you can do this but you can't do that But then at times there's like conflicts. I remember at one point you could go out and sleep with a complete stranger, but you couldn't go and see your girlfriend who you've been with for the last 10 years or your wife who might be living in a different household to you. You couldn't go see them. It was very Mm -hmm. odd, in my opinion. And there was many weird cross avenues. They should have kept it very simple. They should have gone, okay, to release the lockdown, we're going to ease it a little. Okay, you can go to bars, however, you can only have so many people. And then mm. two weeks later, then they should get, okay, you can have haircuts now, but you can only do this. Not go, here's a whole list of things that you can and cannot do. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. They build it up so far in advance that people get excited. And then there's people actually queuing up to get their haircuts at just gone midnight because hairdressers are opening up at midnight to let customers in to start already cutting hairs and people are queuing down the streets, you know, all kind of gathered together. And then you're putting a lot of responsibility in pubs, I think, because I think they already have a very difficult job of managing people and to try and cope when 
times are busy. And then you've now got to give them the responsibility of splitting people apart when they're drinking in a place that they normally feel quite relaxed. And, you know, how are you supposed to know that these two people are from different households, you know, and how are you supposed to make sure that they are socially distancing? You know, it is, it is going to be like herding cats. And I just don't think that the pubs are going to be able to cope with that. So I think the pubs are really where we're going to see some some sort of increase. What you said there is completely right. You know, I used to work in a bar. I understand how people can get and to control them and say, oh, you, you know, you've got to keep this distance. It's not going to happen. Let's just say you've, you've just seen Jeremy. You haven't seen him for like, two, however, like four months nearly. You're going to go over and chat to him. Oh, and then, oh, look, here comes uh, Sylvia. She's coming over. And all of a sudden, you've got this hot pot of coronavirus that can be spread around easily. Like, to ask bartenders or, or managers of bars, for example, to control these people doesn't happen. And I can tell you from experience, trying to deal with people who are, at this point, half-liquored or have drunk too much, to get any sort of word across... They will just disrespect you and they'll probably come up to you destroying the social distance barrier anyway. And when people are drunk, they tend to spit. So now they're shooting like saliva and other things at you, which is also prone to give you a coronavirus. I think it's just going to become a battleground in, in a certain instance, obviously. When people do go to pubs, hopefully people are respectful and drink responsibly. And I'm, I encourage our audience members who listen to drink responsibly and take care. But I feel like there are going to be a couple of people who are going to ruin it to everyone. Pub chains like Weatherspoons, they'll be able to afford security guards and other extra staff from externally to help control these people, which we have seen in other situations like shops and stuff to help manage queues and to help manage people, make sure that people are being responsible. But smaller pubs are the ones that are going to get hit the hardest because they can't afford to do this. And often smaller pubs are smaller in size as well so they can't socially distance as, as many people if you think tipsy adults are bad just imagine trying to separate small children because that is what i do six hours a day and i'll tell you what not only do they not understand what six feet is but also they just they don't have the impulse control in order to actually follow the rules. And all that they want to do after all these months is go hang out with their friend and they cannot make themselves stay six feet apart. And so all day, every single day, I just have a constant repetition of, let's stay six feet apart. Let's give social distance. Get into a social distance circle, everybody, all day, every single day. That is my life now. And the kids get so frustrated because they're sick of hearing about it. But yeah. it's impossible. Well, it's not the their fault. don't understand. It's not their fault. Why should they understand? I mean, it's, it's something that's completely out of their world normally. And it's a lot of responsibility to put on a young kid. And it's funny what you were just saying, Darby, because... I was walking past a few schools uh, during my lunch break uh, from work and glass in the playground and the kids are out playing. And the uh, first thing I noticed is like, hang on, there's lots of groups and gathering and stuff going on in this playground, you know, yeah. and 
I think the teachers had almost given up. They were on the other side of the playground. They're all chatting themselves. And I thought, well, I don't really blame them because it is a thankless task of trying to keep them all apart. So, yes, I completely see what you're saying, Darby. I think we should get cages and just put them in there so they cannot run around <laughs> and just distance them two meters or six foot apart. Done. I, I, can, I can see maybe why you don't work in schools, mine. <laughs> I just have this feeling. Well, Why, that might saying, be. Well, also we could kill two birds with one stone. People would come out of the um, at the pubs. We could also put them in these cages. I mean, that's a better use of the cages for sure. <laughs> we have this like pool noodle that's been measured at exactly six feet, and it's supposed to demonstrate how far they're supposed to be apart. But all the kids want to do is play limbo with it, and so. <laughs> We do that like all the time. And of course, in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, so if the kids are in the middle of the limbo noodle, there's no possible physical way for them to be apart. apart. Exactly. (sighs) Taking care of children in the coronavirus is so hard and also so absurd and so funny all at the same time. Just imagine walking past that, just seeing a load of children play limbo. You're just like, what is happening in, in this world? <laughs> oh my gosh. At least it's good to have fun during this time or so find the fun in things. And kids definitely have a, a knack for finding the fun in situations. So I'll give them props for that. The reason we're talking about this, apart from updating you all, and it's always good to see what's going on in different countries and uh, it's fun to kind of make fun of certain situations, but... The topic of this episode is all about this MIT robot, which has been designed and is capable of disinfecting the floor of a 4,000 square foot warehouse in only half an hour. It could one day be used to clean your local grocery store or a school. Essentially, the robot is programmed with waypoints around the whole location and it takes over the half an hour its time going around all the areas and using ultraviolet light to kill the virus. As we know, COVID-19 mainly spreads via airborne transmission, and it is capable of remaining on surfaces for several days. With states across the US reporting a surge in cases, as we've talked about, and no concrete timetable for a possible vaccine, there is currently no near-term end to the pandemic. So this leaves a lot of organizations, schools and the like, finding their own solutions to keeping things running. So lots of places have been requiring that you sanitize your hands before going in wear face masks and stuff as we've all talked about but how about if a robot was there to take a lot of the work for you how do we feel about this i like the idea of it for sure however this is definitely an end goal solution because the thing is yes you can have this robot going around your factory um, and in half an hour bang your factory's now completely sanitized however then when when your workers then come in who could have potentially the virus yeah. on them? Yeah. Then you'd have to do this process over and over again. You know. Yeah. How how many times do you do it? Do you have it roaming around all the time? Absolutely. Or do you just get employees to stand in front, being hit with ultraviolet light? You know. It's it, not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. But for sure, I think it, it's a good idea. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but it's not a, a solution. Really, no. it's more of a okay. We've contained the virus now. We, we're at this point of okay. We, we've stopped the uh, the spreading, and you know it's just it's dying out now. Now we can implement these robots, but it's for sure we still need that uh, other step first. I can definitely see this happening, and you know mm-hmm. if this was 
something that could be proven to be like, you know, it kills 99% of the actual virus. I'm more for it. But we, I feel like we also got to think of a, another solution that can build the blocks towards this solution. We know that COVID-19 isn't going to be the last time we'll ever see a virus like this. There will be others like this. In fact, there's been reports in the news that they have already spotted viruses that have potential of spreading like COVID-19 that exist in, in Asia today. So ideally, once we've kind of got through the main of this, as you're saying, is that you have a robot like this to make sure that future virus spreads is contained a lot better. If we can sanitize areas a lot quicker, we can stop the transmission of being so high. You know, it won't stop it completely, but it will stop it from being so high for future viruses. So this could be a tool like many others that we just see in our daily lives that help keep the contain of, of all viruses. It's a lot like treating the symptoms where it's great and it's helpful, but at the end of the day, it doesn't solve the underlying issue. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's fantastic and it's a really great thing that I hope doesn't become an access issue because of how expensive it probably is, but it's not going to help us in more of the long term to solve the actual problem. I just want to put a question out there for, for Darby, really. When you go to work and, you know, we've established that you work with small children and with this coronavirus, uh, do, are you fearful about going to work? And let's just say this thing was now out and it's just been implemented into where you work. Would you feel more comfortable going to work anyway? Or at the moment, do you not worry about COVID at all when you work? I'm not really worried because we do so many preventative measures to try and avoid an issue. We check every single person coming in and out, ask them about if they have any symptoms, and then check their temperature, both coming and going. We have closed groups where there's only 10 children to a room and whatever adults are assigned are there for the entire week and other adults cannot come into the room. Each group of children has access to a bathroom and that is their bathroom only and they only go one at a time. We clean and sanitize all of the surfaces several times a day. We have access to plentiful hand sanitizer and hand washing we are doing everything possible to try and mitigate the risk. So I am not currently fearful. It is always in the back of my mind though. And it's hard not to be when you're trapped in the same room for six hours a day and these kids, all they wanna do is go see their friends, go outside, go do something. Mm -hmm. And you have to keep them trapped and you have to wear a mask all day. And mm -hmm. um, I feel like something like this robot would be helpful because we do have carpeted floors in my workplace. And I do wonder about that because like, I don't think that they get sanitized every single day. <laughs> that would be a little unreasonable. For adults, this is less of a problem, I assume. Like, but for kids, they kind of, you know, everywhere is a touchable service. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. If you could see everywhere that the kids touch in a single day, 
it would look like a crime scene under black light. It would be insane. I work for a nonprofit and I just don't see them ever being able to afford something like this. I mean, there was a big announcement at the beginning of the summer where they were talking about we were finally able to afford getting the carpets cleaned due to a large donation. Right. Wow. And it was like a round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't truly believe in my heart that they would ever be able to use something like this. I mean, there's no way that schools would ever be able to afford this. They can barely afford to get normal provisions for children. You know, it's expected often that teachers provide stuff for their kids, you know, and then buy stuff that there's no way that schools would drop a serious amount of money on anything like this without it being a donation or state funded or something, which seems almost unlikely. The positive, I think, out of all this and the positive thing out of the virus is that it has brought some of the brightest minds in the world to think about how we tackle viruses and tackle these situations. So, you know, someone like the MIT can come up with something like this. And many other companies have been working on similar things. I've seen robots, uh, as I showed Darby, that can talk to a person as it comes in and ask them if they've had any symptoms and then it can automatically take a uh, temperature reading and to make sure that that they're safe and able to go into the store so that's something that you know would would make lives a lot easier for a lot of stores to be able to quickly do and just have this little robot to do that so there's a lot of intelligent thinking going on there's a lot of people being put to solve these issues and i think that if this is some of the early stuff that we're seeing that we might see some incredible stuff down the line i mean relatively speaking we've only been thinking about this in this way for a short period of time it's true some of the most genius inventions come out of times of war and i feel like right now we're globally at war against a virus think of the the code breakers in world war ii you know they came up with a computer in a way of thinking that didn't exist before and that was in a time of need and desperation so big things can be achieved and it might be things that then spiral off into other things for the world. It might, you know, initially be used for a pandemic, but find other uses. Also, tampons were originally used to block bleeding from gunshot wounds. They were. For first early attempt at, at, at looking at this problem, I think that there's some really strong technology that's, that's come out of this, and I'm, I'm really keen to see how, uh, how it all develops. Well, Freddie, that's all we've got time for on this episode. I hope you have enjoyed listening to this and have found this inspirational and interesting and a good listen. If you have, we'd really appreciate it that you'd leave us a little comment. You can do that either by leaving a review on the podcast. You can get in touch with our Twitter. You can drop us an email or you can go on all our other social media platforms. The links are in the show notes. But if you search us up on most social media, you will find us. Don't worry. If you're one of the very small amount of people that listen to us on YouTube, we thank you very much for your support. You are our smallest audience, but we love and appreciate you so much. So leave a comment below if you're watching on YouTube and I'll definitely respond to you. And with that, thank you so much to Davyana for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And providing an excellent insight into kids' minds, which is, is always useful. And thank you to Martin as well for being here thank you yep and i hope my suggestion of cages will be implemented very <laughs> soon 
Yeah, I, I will I, tell you now, it's not going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, people on a budget and stuff, that's all they might be able to afford. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I might uh, copyright that. <laughs> I, I think you have much more success down the uh, criminal or pub route. I think or one of those dealing with the drunkards, I think, is the best way to uh, <laughs> to go with it. Anyway, I'll leave you to ponder that and I'll say thank you very much for listening. We will see you on the next episode, whenever that will be. Stay tuned and goodbye. Goodbye. See ya. You're tuned in to the Three Pixels podcast.